Hey everyone, and welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast, co-hosted by me, Shelby Ostriker, Holly Hughes, and this month, Olivia Doyle, with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. As a regulatory agency of the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the Division of Plant Industry works to detect, intercept, and control plant and honeybee pests that threaten Florida's native and commercially grown plants and agricultural resources. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we'll hear from Dr. Trevor Smith from the Director's Desk and Callie Walker, the Bureau Chief of Pest Eradication and Control. You know, I think it's just the joint effort of working together all the time every day um, that keeps our industry moving forward and our ability to make sure that every day the citizens of the United States and around the world have a glass of juice on their table. Then stay tuned for news and announcements in the Division Digest. From the director's desk with Trevor Smith. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, This week, um, we actually had a visit from our new deputy commissioner of agriculture, Deborah Tannenbaum. And uh, she actually takes Dr. Lisa Conti's place, although Dr. Conti is still with us at uh, at FDAX. But she's in a role uh, as the director of strategic planning, and she's still our chief science officer. So, uh, so Dr. Conti's still with us. But we had a great visit from uh, Deborah. We took a tour, spent a couple hours talking about priorities and uh, her priorities and our priorities, and um, and I think it was a really uh, productive meeting and it was a good time. We also, earlier in the month, had our new commissioner, Commissioner Freed, visit DPI. And again, we had a tour of the facility, but she also uh, actually spent almost an hour in our auditorium just meeting people, shaking hands, taking pictures. Um, I think it was a really great experience. We had well over 115 people at that um, at that meeting, and we've only had about 127 or 130 on campus. So we pretty much had everybody at DPI uh, at that meeting. So that was great. And of course, we always love to show off the collection. And um, we actually brought her back to our quarantine facility. She got to hold a giant African land snail and get some great pictures of a giant slimy snail crawling all over her hand. And, um, but it really was a good opportunity to talk about the the variety of pests and diseases that we deal with and to see it firsthand. So uh, we only got a very small portion of the tour in, so we definitely need to have Commissioner Freed and Deputy uh, Commissioner Tenenbaum back to, uh, to finish up that tour. So all of you folks out there in methods and, um, and everybody in pathology and nematology, don't worry, your turn will come. Uh, they both expressed a, a huge interest in coming back and, and seeing uh, your sections. And uh, so we're, we'll be planning that soon. And in addition, Commissioner Freed is a Gator and she loves to come to football games. So you can bet every home game, she's gonna be back in Gainesville. So those Fridays might be good times where you might get lucky enough to see the commissioner here at DPI. And then um, Deputy Commissioner Tannenbaum actually has family in Lake City. 
So she's going to be very close to Gainesville often. So I think we'll be seeing a lot of both of them here. And then again, they both expressed an interest in getting out into the field. So they want to ride along with the fruit fly trappers. They want to do an apiary inspection. Uh, they want to ride through a citrus grove on a gator. They both really want to get their hands dirty. So um, I think there's a lot of opportunity here uh, to not only talk about the things we do, but they'll get a chance to actually see our people doing it in the field. So we're looking forward to that. Something else that uh, happened this month that is uh, you know, really momentous for the division of plant industry is Richard Gascala, our former director, was actually inducted into the Florida Agricultural Hall of Fame. And Richard is the only regulator to have ever been inducted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, it was a great ceremony. We had a good time. Uh, and he really spent a lot of time, most of his speech, talking about DPI and the importance of what we do, uh, the relationships we have with industry, how different it is from a lot of other states and other places, and how collaborative it really is. And uh, that was really really momentous and it's really amazing that a regulator would be nominated by growers because that that's who nominated him it wasn't just growers it was uh, it was also industry uh, folks in um, in the nursery industry it was researchers at the university of florida it was grower groups it was just there were there were a lot of people that put richard's name uh, out there to be inducted so that was great, and uh, what was really cool about it is the commissioner was there to hear Richard speak. Obviously, she's, uh, she's at the Ag Hall of Fame dinner, and then the next day she came to DPI. So it was a perfect lead-in. It was not planned that way, but it couldn't have been planned any better. So that was great. Uh, something else that uh, we just had recently, many of you probably heard that last year, very unexpectedly, we ended up having to regulate saw palmetto berries. And uh, it was actually a very successful program. And we have had nothing but positive feedback from industry, from landowners, from timber companies. And essentially what, what had happened over the years as, is people had begun to exploit saw palmetto berries. They're used for medicinal purposes and nutraceuticals. There's a lot of evidence showing that um, this is a possible, there's possible treatments for cancer involving this product as well as prostate health and some other things. There's just a lot of good things about saw palmetto berries, so they're valuable. And people were literally trespassing all over the state of Florida, just walking onto people's property and essentially stealing because they were taking these berries. So... The commissioner was really concerned. This was former Commissioner Putnam. He was getting a lot of feedback from these landowners that, that this was a problem. And a lot of times it was really sketchy too because it's happening in the middle of the night. People see people wandering around out in their saw palmettos in the middle of the night on their land, and it's, it's, it was kind of a scary thing. So the commissioner reached out to us, asked us if we could step in, and we actually have some rules in place that we could actually fit saw palmetto, saw palmetto berries in as an exploited plant. So we did. And we did thinking that we would have a couple of hundred permit applications and 1,800 permit applications later, we're starting to realize now how large this industry is. 
but after all of that, we decided we should have a hot wash or a post-mortem, whatever you want to call it, a meeting to talk about what went well and what didn't go well. And uh, we actually had that last week. And we invited our agricultural law enforcement partners that were a part of this and, um, and our attorneys. And of course, we brought in a bunch of folks from different parts of DPI that participated. So Helpline, uh, as well as our TA staff, some folks from plant inspection in the field, uh, methods development. I mean, we, everybody kind of pulled together on this. And uh, it was a really productive meeting. I think the message I took away for the most part is we corrected most of the things in the process. Uh, there's still some things we can do better. We definitely changed the application form and the permit form. Uh, I think it's going to work a lot better this time around. Now, of course, we've got a lot of those folks in the database, so it's going to be more of a renewal. Everything's not going to be a unique permit. Uh, but it was a good meeting, and we did identify some things we need to work on, some rule changes we need to make. Um, and we're getting geared up for another round of this. Uh, we also submitted a legislative budget request to actually get some funding uh, for our permitting team because 1,600 permits and then eventually, and, and we'll talk in the future about possible uh, industrial hemp programs, that's going to involve permitting. So there's really a need for a, a permitting unit and, and for them to have funding. So that's something on the horizon. This time of year is also when we find out how well we did in our um, farm bill proposals. And uh, this is basically a competitive program where we compete for federal dollars for different grant programs. And we were actually very, very successful this year. We ended up bringing in $5.5 million. This is just DPI, $5.5 million in farm bill projects. And every one of them is a really significant project or program. And some of them can be huge. For instance, uh, giant African land snail, that's $1.3 million. So that's one of the large farm bill projects. But then we've got others that are smaller that might only be a couple hundred thousand looking at new fruit fly traps. Or in one case, we have uh, one of the chemicals that we use in fruit fly eradication programs, they're starting to see that fruit flies are showing resistance to this in Hawaii. So being kind of the innovators that we are, we're gonna try and get ahead of this before it actually happens in Florida. So we're looking at new chemistries that maybe we can incorporate into the programs. Uh, this is also where our detector dog program and our um, interdiction station staff are funded out of and our fruit fly trappers so there really is a lot in the farm bill uh, that impacts us every day. These are big programs. These aren't small. They're not all small little projects. But then there's a lot of them where we're just collaborators. We might be helping UF out, and so there might be a smaller dollar figure attached. And one of them there with UF that I think is interesting is we're actually going to China. And this, again, is mostly UF, but they, we are involved as well going to China and assessing some of the major forest pests there, tying it to their export industry, figuring out which of those products are being shipped to the United States the most often. So which pests do we need to be concerned about? And are they doing what they need to do on their end 
And are we doing what we need to do on our end to make sure that these things aren't actually introduced into the United States and Florida in particular? So I think that's a really good proactive approach to this, kind of like don't pack a pest program. We're trying to get out there, get the word out before these pests get to Florida. The same goes for a lot of the Farm Bill initiatives this time. It's the work is actually happening in the place where there is a problem instead of waiting for the problem to come to us and then reacting to it. So uh, we've got several projects like that where we're partnering uh, with the University of Florida. Aside from that, um, we've got our usual list of pests and diseases that, uh, that keep coming in. Uh, we haven't had any in the last few months that are earth-shattering or earth-shaking. Uh, we do have, of course, lychee mite is something we're still concerned about. And that, again, Farm Bill, we were actually able to get funding for the lychee mite eradication program. And this is, uh, for those of you not familiar with lychee, it's a subtropical fruit that grows primarily in South Florida, but it's a very expensive fruit. It's, it's a very valuable crop. And this mite has been known to cause a lot of damage in lychee crops in Brazil and Australia but not in Hawaii. So what does that mean? Well, that's part of what this funding is all about, is let's figure out what's going on in Hawaii and what's going on in Brazil. Is it varieties of lychee? Is it different varieties? Is it a, a subspecies of the mite that might be better or worse? The one in Hawaii is maybe not as bad. Uh, but that's a big program, and we actually have quarantines in place in southwest Florida, particularly on Pine Island and Lee County. Um, but this is, uh, this is definitely a pest that we're looking to take uh, major action against. We do not want this to spread. We especially do not want it to spread to the Miami-Dade area. That's where the, the heart of our production is. That's really, uh, I think at this point, where we are. That's some of the things that happened this, the last few weeks and in this month. And um, I look forward to talking to you again next month on uh, whatever we've got going in March. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask, can I bring it? And declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey. And remember, don't pack a pest. On this episode of Plant Industry News, we will hear from the Chief of the Bureau of Pest Eradication and Control and the Director of the Citrus Health Response Program, or CHIRP, Callie Walker. Callie is a Florida native with family ties to the citrus industry. Callie's knowledge of citrus comes from her years of experience with the division and other agricultural organizations. On this episode, Callie will be discussing citrus black spot disease, or CBS, what effects it's having on the citrus industry in Florida, and what DPI and CHIRP are doing in relation to it. briefly explain what citrus black spot or CBS is for our audience. Citrus black spot is a fungal pathogen caused by Filiasticca citricarpa, which is the asexual type that the state of Florida currently has. We do not have the second mating type, which is Gingardiae citricarpa. 
can you explain for our audience like what a fungal pathogen is, just in case they don't already know? A fungal pathogen, in this case, the Filiastica citricarpa, is a spore that is in the leaf litter. It is also can be on a leaf on a canopy. And through spore action, which is when it releases, it will actually spread the disease, which then ends up being on the fruit, is where we see it mostly at color break, um, which then is like a fungus, and it has a dark center to the, to the lesion. Yeah, and we'll have some um, actual photos or links to photos in, in our description of this podcast. So if you're listening and want to um, go check out what Callie's talking about, we'll have some links to some pictures and um, that you can go look at and kind of keep up with us. Olivia is also here with us today. Um, this is her first podcast, and she is going to be helping and ask some of the questions as well. Yeah. So how and when was citrus black spot introduced to Florida? The introduction of citrus black spot to the state of Florida is undetermined at this point. We don't know how it came to be in the state of Florida. Um, The first time we detected it um, was in March 8th of 2010 um, in South Florida, Southwest Florida, the Immokalee area, and we were doing a survey for multi-pest in Valencia Block when we found it. What impact does CBS have on growers and the Florida citrus industry as a whole? The major impacts to the grower and the industry itself is that the fruit becomes blemished because of the necrotic spots on it, and so therefore it's not marketable if you're trying to go to the fresh fruit. Um, It also causes fruit drop within the grove Um, which is an economic factor to the grower in the long run. There's associated costs with management and tarping the loads in order to prevent the spread of the disease, which also is an economic impact to the grower. So a lot of money can be lost on this disease, it sounds like. It has the potential to cause a significant impact to the grower's bottom line, especially now with HLB present and the trees are already reducing their yield um, within the grove. So yes. So kind of following up on that, like what is the difference between the fruit that's affected and that's not affected? Can that fruit still be used for anything? Um, And like what does that look like? So the fruit could still be used if it's heavily infected, the processing plant probably is not going to use it because it's a degraded quality. But we do move fruit that is in groves that have been tested positive for CBS um, and are able to move it to um, the processing plant for, for juice. But for fresh fruit markets, you would not be able to move it because nobody would buy it because of the le- the lesions on the outside of the fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's why it kind of renders it unmarketable because it's no longer appealing to um to a consumer, right? Correct. The you know, the consumer likes to have a very pretty iconic orange that is glossy mm-hmm. and pretty on the outside and this does not will not make that standard. Yeah, it looks like it almost has polka dots on it, kind of, so. It does. Yeah. It's just good that some of the fruit can be used for juicing, though, and that it doesn't Mm -hmm. all go to waste. 
The majority of the fruit does go, I mean, within the quarantine does move to processing. Um, I would say the cases where it doesn't are, are less than the ones that do. Yeah, and speaking of that, uh, what kind of measures are you taking, are we taking um, as a regulatory agency uh, to control CBS? It's a joint effort between us and the grower. Um, you know, the grower knows, you know, once they are in quarantine that, you know, the loads have to be tarped. So, and the reason for that is so that the leaf litter is contained within the trailer itself and is not floating outside onto adjacent properties. Um, decontamination measures are also in place. Outside of those requirements that we have as a department for decontamination and tarping, the grower doesn't want to lose fruit yield. And so they have a very intensive, highly managed process that they go through for their grove, just like they do for HLB. And so they'll put out fungicide applications in their grove because they need to be able to hang on to the number of foxes that they're generating out of that grove. So the interest of them is to really manage the disease so that their crop is there mm -hmm. and in turn, you know, adds money to their bottom line. Um, our side of it is really about trying to prevent the spread. And we do that through our surveys statewide. Um, we look at transportation corridors. We have blocks that we look at starting at the one mile of the edge of the buffer, which would be the edge of the quarantine, going out 10 miles, going out 20 miles, looking at those groves to make sure that we are aware of any new outbreaks of citrus black spot across the state. Um, and so really it's a joint effort between us and the grower. Mm -hmm. um, and without the cooperation that we receive from our growers, which has been wonderful, we would not be able to do what we do and we wouldn't have been able to slow the progression of the disease to the to where it is today originally we thought that it would spread very quickly but through the measures of the grower and the state and what we do and the fact that we have only one type of cbs mm -hmm. um it we've we've been able to keep it a slow progression is this disease as damaging or detrimental as other citrus diseases like greening or canker, things that we're already facing in Florida? Or are they even comparable? It is a damaging and it is detrimental to the, to the industry because it's a loss of yield. And when you're already in a loss of yield situation, then it's just exponentially adding to the issue. Yeah. You know, we have HLB, we have canker. Um, HLB is a loss of yield um, and, and to the grower. Canker is on fresh fruit, doesn't allow you to move it to the European Union. Um, all of it is a problem. And quite frankly, with the, it's a layer added onto greening where greening doesn't allow the tree to be stressed at all. It, the grower has to, mitigate the stress mm -hmm. all the time. Having those other diseases, whether it's canker or CBS, is gonna just cause one more issue to the grower mm -hmm. and to the tree because it doesn't like the stress that is being put on it. Right, so it's really an additive mm -hmm. to what's going on in the industry right now.
So what role does education and communication play on reducing the spread of CBS? They're both equally important to protecting the state and the, and the state's iconic industry, partly because communication is, is our ability to really let the grower know what's going on statewide and let them be aware of where we have issues with having quarantine expansion. Um, it allows them to um, protect themselves. Um, it allows them us to be able to move fruit statewide safely um, with leaf litter control and decontamination measures. So the communication part is really important so that the growers are aware of what they need to do and to really help them better manage what they have. The education part is always important. It allows the grower to know what they can do. Um, IFAS and the University of Florida have been really good partners with both the state and the growers um, in that you know their recommendations that they put forth for management of the diseases, whether it's CBS or greening or canker, are really the guidelines that help the grower be profitable at the end of the day mm -hmm. and to protect themselves from the diseases as best as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so both of them kind of work hand in hand together. Um, the communication that we have with, with our growers is really a partnership. Um, it, we're there to help the grower. We're there to communicate what's going on and what we're seeing and answer any questions they have that may help them in their management decisions um, as they move forward through the season. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think that plays very well into our next question, which is about um, some Citrus Black Spot training videos that our technical assistance department is helping you produce. Can you tell us a little bit about those and about how you hope to see an impact and what kind of impact you hope to see those videos make? Well, we were really fortunate that we had some money come available to the department um, for outreach for Citrus Black Spot to the grower industry. The videos are there as with any industry or with any company, you always have turnover and you always have new people coming in or you have somebody adding new to your company. And really our goal between the, with these videos is to really educate and let them know here are things that you can show to those who are coming new into your company, whether you're a harvester or a hauler, a grower, a caretaker, that says, hey, you know, it's a one-stop type situation. And you can look at how does a tarp look supposed to look, you know, mm -hmm. what, how, how are you supposed to inspect to make sure that the leaf litter is not, you know, in the back of your truck or um, your gator or your piece of equipment? You know, what does it look like to decontaminate a vehicle properly? And so really it's just a continuing outreach of the things that while growers who have been in the business for a long time, um, either A is a refresher for them or B for, to help them train their staff as they have turnover and bring new people in to help them on their groves and how to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, my goal with these videos is to, is really the educational and um, outreach part of it. Um, and so that hopefully that they'll gain some kind of new insight to what we are doing and why we do what we do to try to help manage the spread of the disease. 
Yeah, and we will be sure to link those videos here um, when we get them all produced and finished and ready to go because I think they're going to be a great tool for, for growers and their workers. Yeah, for sure. So I know when we were on that video shoot, we visited the Citrus Health Response Program office, one of them. So can you tell us where they're located? Currently, the Citrus Health Response Program offices are located, um, the main office is in Winter Haven, Florida. Um, we have offices in Avon Park, Vero Beach, and Immokalee. There will be a new office um, being opened. It'll be in Quincy, Florida to help with the growers who are starting an industry up there. You have had a past in the citrus industry and you know a lot about citrus and um, the diseases that are kind of plaguing us. What advice would you give to um, the growers in the industry right now with all the adversity that they're facing? Um, and being on this side of it, doing all you can to help regulate that and um, educate our growers. What advice do you have for them as they face this, this new disease? So as you mentioned, as I ha do have a past, um, specifically to citrus with my family, I will say that in general, one of the most admiring parts of the citrus industry is the resiliency that they have. I don't know of a, more, of a group more resilient in the face of as many diseases as we currently have, HLB and CBS. They really are a unique group of individuals who are able to look at things, look at what they're doing, and adapt over time. Their ability to take the information that we give them, their survey information as we're surveying their groves for them, the information they get from the University of Florida IFAS, and they're really able to take what research tells them is the path and adapt it to their site specifically of what they need to do and how they need to do it. They're always open they communicate well with me. They communicate well with my staff. It's one of the pluses that um, that we as a bureau and as a Citrus Health Response Program that we have because it is about the relationship and it really is about what we can do to help them get their fruit to market and really get and protect the state at the same time. The other side to it is is that over the last six, seven months, eight months, even longer than that, you do see growers replanting statewide. And you have a new industry in North Florida with Satsuma, which is something that we haven't seen since before the freezes in the 80s. The replanting efforts, the commitment out of Florida Natural and some other programs, what you see with assistance coming from the USDA, all of those things play a factor in helping them move forward through this time. They are really, like I said, remarkable about their resiliency. I mean, they've had diseases before. We've had canker before. We've had tristasia. We've had blight. All of those diseases we've had, and we figured out a way to maintain an industry that is so iconic to Florida. Um, you know. They've been growing citrus in the state of Florida for since the 1800s. So it really is an amazing legacy 
that the state has. And ultimately, you know, I think it's just the joint effort of working together all the time every day um, that keeps our industry moving forward and our ability to make sure that every day the citizens of the United States and around the world have a glass of juice on their table. Well, that's great to hear. Um, so, Callie, we just want to say thank you so much for coming out and doing this podcast with us. I, I hope our listeners have learned a little bit more about Citrus Black Spot. So thank you for um, agreeing to do this and educating us a little more. Well, thank you. I appreciate y'all providing me the opportunity to come and talk to you about Citrus Black Spot and what we do for the industry. Of course. February 25th to March 1st, we celebrated National Invasive Species Awareness Week. We highlighted five of Florida's most invasive species on our blog. You can read the post and about what DPI is doing to combat invasives by visiting fdaxdpi.wordpress.com. This is the Division Digest. The Division of Plant Industry was excited to participate in the Florida State Fair again this year. Fairgoers that stopped by the DPI booth were able to enjoy interactive activities like holding and petting live insects like best beetles and native Florida millipedes at the entomology table. The apiary section also featured a live honeybee observation hive, which turned out to be a real crowd pleaser. A congratulation goes to our training coordinator, Carolyn Duver, for winning the Jar of Hearts candy contest held within the Gainesville office. Carolyn had the closest guess to the total number of candy pieces in the jar. As her reward, she will get to enjoy her pick of a designated parking spot for the next few months. We would also like to recognize Brandy Simmons, the newly appointed Assistant Bureau Chief of the Apiary Section in the Bureau of Plant and Apiary Inspection. Brandy started with the division as an apiary operations review specialist in 2017. She is also a beekeeper with over five years experience with her own hives. Congratulations, Brandy, on your new position. You will continue to serve the division well. Christine Zamora was recently appointed as the export specialist for the Bureau of Plant and Apiary Inspection. Chris started with DPI in 1991 in the Biological Control Rearing Facility. In 1998, she moved to the Nematology Lab as a laboratory technician. In 2003, Chris started her career with plant inspection as DPS 107, where her duties included registering and conducting inspections of nurseries, stock dealers, as well as monitoring native and introduced plant material. In 2007, Chris was promoted to Region 1 Area Supervisor, and then in 2009 as the Region 1 Administrator, which included the coordination of 30 employees while continuing to perform management duty, duties related to previous employment, but with added responsibilities. During her tenure in plant inspection, Chris has served as planning chief on several emergency programs, including MedFly, GALS, and OFF programs. Chris experience, Chris's experience in plant inspection has prepared her well for her new venture as the export specialist. Please join us in congratulating her in this new position. 
Another change we would like to highlight within our division is Steve Hildebrandt joining the administration section as a special programs coordinator. Steve received his Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Florida. He received his Certified Public Manager certification through FDAX and FSU in 1998. He started working for DPI with the Bureau of Methods Development as an OPS Agricultural Technician in January of 1989. He served in several positions in this Bureau over nine years, all of which were involved in the operations management of the Caribbean Fruit Fly Mass Rearing Production Facility. In 1998, he took a promotion as the Region 1 Administrator for the Bureau of Plant and Apiary Inspection. He later served as the Export-Import Certification Specialist and lastly as the Assistant Bureau Chief over Pest Exclusion, Import Certification, Detector Dog, High-Risk Import Teams. Steve has worked on multiple fruit fly emergency programs, special programs, and farm bill projects in multiple capacities. Among these are the Tampa Medfly Eradication Program in 1997, the Redlands Oriental Fruit Fly Eradication Program, and the High Risk Import Detector Dog and Tri-State Farm Bills. Steve will start his new role by coordinating division efforts for the Leachy Mite Eradication Program. Please join me in welcoming Steve to his new role. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We appreciate our special guests for keeping us informed and updated. Follow us on social media at FDAXDPI. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or announcements you think should be included, email us at dpi-blog at freshfromflorida.com. This podcast was produced in part by Olivia Doyle, Holly Hughes, and Shelby Ostriker. Don't bug us. We'll have another episode next month.